Will you uh, stand with me as we pray? Gracious Lord, I just want to take a moment to thank you. Lord, I want to thank you for the cross, for the Holy Spirit, that God, once we were immersed in those things, even our motives, our desires, our ambitions, they come to look like you. May that be today what happens, that we become to look like you, even in the inward parts. And Father, we'll pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. I have very fond memories of this place, um, fond memories of sitting in class, many of you I know. And I have to tell you, when God told me to preach this passage, I thought about my first preaching class, Introduction to Preaching with Dr. Jeff Freimeyer, and he gave me this passage from Acts 20, where Eutychus falls from the balcony and says, you're going to preach this passage. About halfway through the semester, I walked to him and said, can I change passages? Because that's a hard passage to preach. And he looked at me and said, nope, part of the job is learning to wrestle with a passage. And so when I got um, the theme for chapel, the story of us, and I began praying, and God said, preach Ananias and Sapphira, I said, God, I must not have heard you right. And I started wrestling with the passage again, because th this is a tough passage. I mean, these are supposedly believers. And, and can you imagine church today? I, <laughs> you walk in, you bring your offering, and it's not enough, and boom, they're, I mean... <laughs> Think about this. Think about that this were the American church today. Our population would go really, really small, really quick. And yet there is so much going on here. And I started wrestling with this passage. And I started saying, Lord, show me what is really going on here. Because the very next verse says that many signs and wonders were done among the apostles at the time. So why does Luke write this one? I mean, couldn't he pick the nice ones? I mean, the really great ones? But all of a sudden, we have this one. And I want to tell you, uh, my, my perspective for this, um, I'm taking the perspective that it is Luke writing, because we know that it's possible that someone else is writing his name. I'm also taking the, the, the thought that this, he's writing to Theophilus, who's a Roman council, and he's in charge of Paul and what was going on with Paul. And that, that's where I'm coming from with this passage, that it's the start of defending Paul. And so he starts way back in the book of Luke telling the, the gospel story of Jesus. And do you remember Peter at the end of the story? The end of Luke, we find the disciples have run, and Peter follows Jesus to the trial. You know, ooh, we just had Easter, so you know the story where Peter goes and follows Jesus to the trial. Jesus has said to Peter, Peter, uh, unfortunately, the enemy wants to sift you. Now, I'm not sure what sifting means, but I look at when I sift wheat or you sift flour, and it doesn't look like a fun experience. And so Peter is being sifted. And you know the story where um, he's asked three different times, weren't you with him? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, no, you're a Galilean. I, I saw you with him. No. And it ends up even cursing. And at the end of Luke, there's nothing left. It doesn't say, it doesn't say anything. Now, we know from John that he's restored. But Luke doesn't cover that. And we move into Acts. And all of a sudden, what do you see? A drastic change in Peter. Remember Acts chapter 2, where they're all of one accord, and the Holy Spirit falls? Guess who it is that stands up, and the scripture says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to preach the message. And all of a sudden, by the way, if you study the passage, 
He's in the exact same place where he had denied him. It's at Caiaphas' house. He's in Bethpage, the exact same place where he had just denied Jesus five weeks earlier. And now we see this change in Peter, and the scripture's evidence says he's filled with the Spirit. And he gets up and says, by the way, Jesus that you crucified. What a change in life. We get chapter 3 and 4, and we find this story of Peter, once again, Peter and John, they're walking outside the temple, and they come to Gate Beautiful, and there's a guy who's been sitting there for 40 years and cannot walk. And the first thing I was, I was reading that passage, I went, he's at the gate. You mean Jesus passed him? Because Jesus went to the temple. And can you, can, can you just see Jesus walking by this guy? wait because it's now peter who reaches his hand out by the way it says peter filled with the spirit reaches out and says silver and gold have i none but what i have i give to thee rise up and walk and it becomes a testament once again to who the high priest and the pharisees because in chapter four you have this guy walking around and guess what the pharisees say we can't deny that a miracle took place but guess, we can't give it to Jesus. We can't say it's true. We have to come up with some other story. And Peter, once up again, gets up and does this great testimony and tells the Pharisees and everything about Jesus. And we get to chapter 5. And in chapter, in, in, in chapter 4, there's this little passage where it talks about that time and time again, new believers would sell property and take care of the poor. Man, don't you wish that was what was happening today? Don't, don't, don't you wish that we were actually doing that as a church today? I mean, think about this. Th think about this. By the way, this is the church. This is what we're supposed to be doing. So anyone who says that we're not supposed to be taking care of people, I want to tell you something. They're arguing with Scripture. Because here it says time and time again, as, as, as God directed, they would sell the property. And this is the first time we see a person named Barnabas. And they would sell this property, and they would bring the money, and they would lay it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles would divide it out among the needy. And Ananias and Sapphira see this. They see this taking place. And so they get together, and they talk. Can you imagine the dinner table talk between Ananias and Sapphira? Hey, did you see what that guy gave? Well, yeah. Well, don't you think if, if, if we did that, can you imagine what they'll do for us? You know, there's that position at that church I really want. If I do this, we'll see it. Whew. And why do we do the things that we do? Why? Because we want influence. We want power. We want the stroking, the feel good. Or maybe there's something on the inside that we haven't dealt with we haven't gone to the cross for, we haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit for, and all of a sudden, we want to be made needy. You know what? I need that praise. I need that influence. You know, Peter asks a question here. Have you got your Bibles there in chapter 5? Look at what he says. He says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Now, here's the contrast. Every time Peter has stood up, so far in Acts, what has it said? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we have Ananias over here, and he's filled with something totally different. And here's the problem, folks. 
either we're filled with the Spirit or we're filled with something else. There are no such thing as empty vessels. I empty myself so that I can be filled with the presence of God. But if I'm not being filled with the presence of God, I'm being filled with something else. Come on, folks. And I hate to say this, but the American church, the church today, we're being filled with all kinds of stuff. Well, we're not being filled with the Spirit. I, I have to tell you, in my particular movement, um, I, I really got really challenged in January. I went to our church in Oak Grove, um, which is over by Tampa, and I, I was there for a conference with, with our particular uh, tradition. And I looked around and watched this church, and this church blends um, the Anglo service with the Hispanic service beautifully. Um, matter of fact, the praise team for everything is a Hispanic praise team. And I've, I watched this church blend stuff together. You know what I realized in that, in that situation? That racial things, gender things, if we're immersed in the cross, they go away. Because it's no longer about me. And the idea that we can't have racial equality is a lie. Because if I'm immersed in the cross, I'm dead. Think about what the cross means. The cross means I'm dead. There's nothing about me alive. And if I'm dead, I can't have racial problems. I can't have gender problems. I can't have those things because I'm dead. The question is, are you dead? Or are we still taking ourselves and not living? Ananias and Sapphira here, yes, they may have been a part of the assembly, but they hadn't died. They, hadn't de they weren't dead. What's the difference? Peter had died. Do you remember the moment that he denies Christ? Who turned and looked at him? And the scripture, every one of the gospels record this, that he left and he wept. And there's a moment here where Peter finally dies. And when the Spirit fills him, he is able to stand up. You see, what needs to happen in the church today is we need to immerse ourselves in the cross. We need to immerse ourselves in the Spirit. Think about that word immerse. Immersing means I totally go under. Think about going in a swimming pool. When I, when I was a kid, I, I didn't swim very well. And so I'd get in a pool, and I would just kind of go to where I could still touch. And I remember one time I was fishing on the dock with my dad, and I went to go behind him to get on the other side of him, and he backed up just as I was behind him, and it pushed me off the dock. And all of a sudden, I had nowhere to touch, and I went under. At that moment, there was nothing I could do. And you know what I think all of our churches need to happen? We need to sink or swim. We need to get immersed. You see, there was no, there was no holding back at that moment. There was no grabbing onto a rope. There was no grabbing onto the ground. I went under the water. There was no, every part of me was, was covered. We need to cover ourselves totally with the cross. We need to cover ourselves totally with the Spirit. Because when that happens, just like falling off that dock, my dad reached down and grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me out. Otherwise, I'd have been physically dead. There was, there, there was no coming back from that. And guess what? Sometimes we got to stop coming back from our former self. we got to stop that. Uh, 
sometimes I, I, this is kind of hard preaching, and some of my, my, my church members will come to me sometimes and say, you know, that, that's, you're, you're preaching hard messages. And I said, yeah. He said, don't, don't you think you want to preach some messages that will actually fill the pews? I, I'm a pastor. I, I deal with this stuff, folks. And I looked at him and I said, listen, I'm tired of living for next Sunday. I want to live for eternity. And it's time the church stops living for next Sunday. It's time we start living for eternity. Because eternity is really what the issue's about. And here in this passage, you, you think, why in the world, in the, that, that first part of the church, would someone pass away like this? And I want to tell you why. Because God was so committed to people who could immerse them in the cross that he was not going to allow the enemy to have any kind of foothold. Now, look at the passage for a second. I want, I want, this is really cool. Verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Now, let me put this in today's vernacular. Ananias, what in the world were you thinking? I mean, that's really the question here. What, what, are, you, what are you thinking? You, you ever heard that old country song? What was I thinking? You know, there's a song where he starts, some of, you, some of you guys know the song I'm talking about, where he sees these old past girlfriends that he was, had dated, and he goes, what was I thinking? This is what Peter's asking Ananias here at this moment. Ananias, what in the world are you thinking? Because if you really thought about this, can you really lie to the Holy Spirit? I mean, think about this. Think of the irony of the story. Can we really lie to the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. So what are you thinking in doing so? And I think there's a pause here. One reason I said, I told you that I really think that Luke is writing this is Luke wasn't there. He's being told the story. And so I wonder if there's a pause there. And Peter gives Ananias a chance to do exactly what he did. Go and weep. Think about, think about the, the two ironies. You deny Jesus totally. Deny that you're not even part of him, even curse at one point. And he kept back part of the money. You look at these two and you go, whoa, hold a second. They don't seem to balance out. But over here, the response. And Peter says, God, I am so sorry. And he goes and weeps. I wonder if there's a pause here. I wonder if Peter gave Ananias a chance. Now, you ask, well, where do you get that from? I get it from three hours later in walks Sapphira, and he asks her the question. You see, if he already knew the answer, which he did, why not just say, Sapphira, you're done and go? Why does he give Sapphira the chance? Because God is always a God of restoration. He wants to restore us. He wants to renew us. I, I think when Jesus looked at Peter and said, listen, the enemy wants to sift you, but I have prayed that God will strengthen you. Do you hear the love he has for Peter here? Listen, I know what's coming. And I myself have said, God, strengthen him. And in that moment where Jesus turns, I don't think it was a turn in judgment. I think it's a turn in mercy to where he looks at, at Peter and says, oh, my son. I know what you're going to go through. And I wonder 
if Peter doesn't at this moment, I, I've heard this passage preached a lot as a child on the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira. And I wonder if we preach that wrong sometimes. Because I wonder if there's that moment where Peter looks at Ananias and says, what were you thinking? Why did you decide to do this? What inside of you is causing this? What part of yourself is not dealt with? What hole do you have in your heart that you need to have power, you need to have influence, you need to have this? Because I want to tell you, the God I serve can supply. He did it for me. Peter, think about Peter's life. One minute he says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the next minute Jesus is going, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, it's like spiritual bipolarism, you know? I, back and forth. But yet, look what happens the first part of Acts. Peter stands up and gives these two dynamic speeches, and here he gets a word of knowledge. He doesn't, no one's told Peter that they sold part of the property. No one knows that except the Holy Spirit has told him. The change, the real story here, I think, is Peter. And the author, Luke, is bringing this in to say, let me tell you what will happen if you immerse yourself. If you immerse yourself in the cross, if you immerse yourself in the Spirit, look what could happen. Theophilus, look what this is really all about. And I think that's what God is calling the church today for, to immerse ourselves in the cross. It, 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 look at Sapphira. An interval of three hours, it's verse 7, the wife came in, knowing what it, not knowing what had happened, and Peter says, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He gives her a chance to do this in an answer. Now, I don't know if you're married in here, but Amy and I, tend to look at things differently. Those of you who are married, you understand what I'm talking about. We tend to look at things from different sides of the opinion. Sometimes we have brief moments of fellowship that are extreme <laughs> and loud and passionate. But at some point, we look at each other and go, okay, we need to see this from the other perspective. And so Peter's looking at her going, did you really do this together? And here's, here's the hard thing about this, is sometimes we even deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves thinking that we are part of the cross, that we've been immersed in the spirit. And we don't even understand our own motives. I, I don't know the conversation between the two of them. But I can see them going, what do you really mean? And the question for us today is this, what really inside of us? I'll tell you, being in the pastorate now and, and, and being a pastor for two, three years now, there are lots of things get exposed in yourself. Lots of things happen when you're the senior guy and the enemy wants to do all kinds of things. And I begin examining my motives and why I do things. Even in board meetings and in church council meetings, and getting up in front of the congregation. Why do I preach the messages I preach? Why do we do this? Why do we sing this song? Why do we do this? Motives are such a big thing because they really reveal the condition of the heart. Why I do something really reveals who I am. 
And so the challenge for us is this. Will we immerse ourselves in the cross? The, the great part of the scripture is both times, with Ananias and then again in Sapphira, it says, and great fear came upon the church. And I've heard passages where people have preached, well, the great fear is because they were going to be exposed. No. I think it's great awe that God was so committed to the church and committed to the people that he said, I want this I want you to submerge yourself in the cross. I want you to submerge yourself in the spirit. This is how vital this is. Church, if you're going to make it in those early days, and I would say 2,000 years later, church, if we're going to make it in these days, we've got to submerge ourselves in the cross. We've got to submerge ourselves in the spirit. Uh, back in November, uh, I went back for my 30th high school reunion. I didn't think I was getting that old, but I went back to my 30th high school reunion. And I met the spouse of one of my friends. I'm a friend I'm on Facebook with. I don't get to see it, but every time we have a reunion. And he introduced me to his wife. And when, she, when he introduced me, she said to me, oh, you're the person that, means, that feels like this politically. And I went, whoa. All she knew about me were my Facebook posts on how I feel politically. And the Holy Spirit smote me. Said, James... If people know you from your political stance, but don't know that you're a follower of Christ, have you been a success? And I was like, oh, I was devastated. That someone knows me not by I'm a follower of Christ, but by a political stance that's going to pass away in two years or four years or whenever the next election is. And I got four God and said, God, I don't want people to know those things about me. And so take this area to the cross. Submerge me in the spirit. I stopped, I stopped writing on Facebook. I had to. Because I didn't want people to say to me, this is who you are. You know what that was? That was great fear coming upon James Irving. And since then, God has been doing some things in my life personally, taking me to this place. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I... Do the, why do I say this, or why do I do this? And God is submerging me in the spirit, and submerging me in this cross, to where I come to a point where people don't longer see James Irving. I want them to see Jesus Christ. And the real story here is this. The story about us, the story about Peter, the change that comes when we immerse ourselves in the cross, and we immerse ourselves in the spirit. May God add his blessing to the word.